So how do we find faith when we're going through times of darkness, times of doubt? You know, this experience of Thomas, he had a dark night of the soul, a time when he was doubting everything that he had before experienced with Jesus Christ. And then we see at the end this very beautiful scene of him falling before our Lord, putting his hand in his side and making that great act of faith, my Lord and my God. How do we find faith in times of darkness? This experience, it reminded me of a story about a woman. She once went to a monk, and she, she told him that she couldn't bring herself to believe in God in this time. That no logical arguments, no reason, no apologetics could break through her mind at that time. And she, she asked him sincerely, help me to believe in God. Is there any way out for me? And the monk's response to her has always fascinated me. He said, I cannot prove God's existence to you, but you can become convinced of it by the experience of active love. Try to love your neighbors actively and tirelessly. The more you succeed in loving, the more you'll be convinced of the existence of God and the immortality of the soul. This has been tested. It is certain. It's a fascinating idea that somehow more than any logical arguments, more than any reason, the very experience of loving other human beings, those in need around us, somehow carries within it a revelation of God's existence that nothing else can reach. And at first I want to dismiss it because it's like, no, you want to know about God, go read the Summa, pick up the Catechism, and just read every single line, memorize all the numbers, and then you will have faith in God. But even the scriptures say something interesting, that Jesus didn't come through water alone, but through water and blood, in the sense that it's not just ideas. And unless our faith becomes incarnational, lived reality, then we can never truly experience Jesus Christ for who he is. And I think we see this in our times because information alone has proved to be insufficient to convert souls. Never before in the history of our church has there been so much information about the truth readily available, whether it be through books, through catechists, through internet, YouTube. Never before have we had so many means, and yet we don't see this incredible increase in faith. So many of the young people of our generation are saying, unless I can put my fingers into his side and experience the risen Christ, I will not believe. And what this monk is saying is that the more we love what is right in front of us, that love itself will reveal the existence of God. And it may be because God chooses to identify and reveal himself as love come in the flesh. Not as reason, not as perfect logic. And so by the very act of loving, it draws us into who he is in this world. You think about it, a lot of times I'll get stuck in my head with a problem. And there's one guy who's always said to me, and this brought it all back, he said, you know, it's not, we never worship the immaculate mind of Mary and the, and the sacred mind of Christ. It's the sacred heart, the immaculate heart. That there's a revelation in the heart of God that can take us so much deeper into him than anything in the mind. And if you think about it, sometimes when we get caught up in our minds, caught up in our heads, the further we can get from reality, the further we can get from other people, and the further we get even from ourselves, from our own hearts. And that's why somehow 
Love has the power to draw us into life as it is, into the world, into reality. And in that very being drawn into the brokenness of reality is embedded in that a revelation of God that we can't receive any other way. I experienced this one time in a very tangible way in my life, transforming me more than any information I'd ever learned. I spent five years in seminary before going to Mexico, where I studied for a summer. I knew every logical conclusion on why I was supposed to be a priest in my life. I knew all the rules and of the faith and our dogmas. Everything was there. But when I went to Mexico, I didn't speak any Spanish, and I immediately had to live with a family who spoke no English. And when I was there, we went to a school, but I didn't, you know, you don't have any of your friends with you. Everyone's just speaking a different language. I've never felt more alone in my life, isolated. And then I got sick. I got food poisoning at one point. So I couldn't even leave my room for weeks. And I noticed that the, the longer I was staying in my room, I was getting caught up in my own mind. And for the first time since I'd entered the priesthood, the seminary, I began seriously doubting if I was called to be a priest. I stopped believing in it. And I was just getting deeper and deeper into my mind and nothing could break me out of it. And the world was getting so scary and I was getting more and more separated from it. And when you get separated from the world, you get separated from your heart. And when you get separated from your heart, you get separated from your purpose in life, from who you are and what you're called to be. One night, I really didn't know if I, when I went back, when I came back to America, what I would do this point. I was just in a limbo. But one night I was, it was about, I was about 10 o'clock at night and I was with the abuela of the, of the household, the, the grandmother. And we'd sometimes sit up and talk late at night and we heard this voice outside. It was just getting louder and louder and we lived on a very busy street and this woman was walking by and she goes, oh, it's, she's asking for a blanket and she just kept crying out really loud over and over again. It's just getting louder and louder as she's getting closer. And the abuela gave me some pesos and she said, give her this money, but we don't have any linen that we can offer her at this time. We're already at our, at, our, at our low. So I took the money out and we're standing in between this huge gate that goes from their garage straight out into the street corner. And I wait for her to cl- get close and I try to offer the money. And she rejected it. And she goes, I don't need money. I need a place to stay. Can you give me a blanket, anything, and a place? Don't let me sleep outside tonight. And I looked at her, and she was about 50 years old, very short. And I know she was on two crutches. She only had one leg. And I said, look, it's not my house. I'm an American. I have nothing to offer you. But I'm a seminarian, so I I can pray for you. And right then when she heard... I'm a seminarian. She reached through the gate and she grabbed my arm. And she goes, Mi seminarista, mi seminarista, por favor, ayúdame, no me dejes. Like, help me, don't leave me outside tonight. Please, my seminarian, my seminarian. And I had no idea what I could do, but at, at that moment I remembered that one day I was walking to the school and I'd seen outside this kind of platform, this concrete structure that just had all these like dirty mattresses outside. And I thought at that moment it might be a homeless shelter. So I remembered that and I was like, well, Okay, maybe I can take her there. So I go outside the gate. And the one rule that we were really given when we went down to Mexico is you don't go out at night, especially alone, because you may not come back. 
I was like, well, technically I'm with someone right now, so maybe this is okay. And so we started slowly making our way down the street, and she just kept grabbing my arm as we were walking and say, don't leave me outside tonight. Don't leave me outside. Please help me. And we get around the corner, and we see this place that's lit up by candles, very poor, like broken concrete all around. All these uh, mattresses were there, just like soiled, you know, no bedding or anything. Women and children and, and men scattered all, all out there. So I was like, okay, it must be a shelter. So I go inside, and I try to find the man in charge and explain the situation. And he said, I found someone, and they said, we can't take anybody in from the streets. This is an overflow from the hospital. So nobody from the streets can come here except when they're admitted to the hospital first. And the woman came to me again, grabbed me, Seminadista, don't leave me, don't leave me, please find a way. And so I walked over to the hospital a couple blocks away, and I started asking them. And at first they kept saying no, but I think it's because my Spanish was so bad, and they got so tired of listening to me over and over again asking for a mattress for this woman and to let her stay, that finally, the guy kind of looked around and he said, you know, don't tell anybody. He goes and he grabs a, a mattress and he gives it to me. And I walk back, you know, you're just so joyful. It's like a good ending to the story. And I walked in and her face just lit up, you know, mi seminista, mi seminista, gracias, gracias, thank you so much. And I put it down right there and I looked up at her and I swear to you, she went from being a beggar to some sort of dignified diplomat in a matter of seconds. She looked at me. She said, what do you want me to give you in exchange for what you've done for me tonight? What could she possibly offer me? Right? But she, she looked at me again. What do you want me to give you in exchange for what you've done for me tonight? And at that moment, all I could think about was all the doubts all the darkness, all the temptations, everything I'd been going through since I came to Mexico. And I said to her, just almost automatically, solo quiero ser un sacerdote santo. I only want to be a holy priest. She looked at me, she said, kneel down. Okay, the conviction in her eyes was so strong. And I just, I, I remember kneeling down and just like a heightened awareness of things like the cracked tile beneath me, the babies crying all around on the mattresses and looking up at her one leg and the crutches before me. And she put her hands on top of my head and she prayed. For a long time, she just sat there praying. And then she lifted me up, grabbed my hand. 60 year old woman, you know, probably around 60, very short. She took a ring off of her finger and she said, take this and put it on and wear it always as a reminder of what has happened here tonight. And she put the ring onto my finger and it fit perfectly just on the ring finger. It's never come off since. So when I think about the words of that monk, I cannot prove God's existence to you, but you can become convinced of it by the experience of active love. There is nothing anyone could have ever told me logically to convince me of who I was as being called to be a priest in that time. Nothing. And yet the greatest truth of 
my vocation, my identity, was revealed through this middle-aged Mexican one-legged woman in the middle of the night in such a destitute situation, in such a way that I could never again doubt it for the rest of my life. I think that's part of what he's saying here. Active love carries within it its own revelation, its own conviction of God and the faith. And that's why other people are so necessary for our faith. You think about Thomas, he doubted when he was alone. He was by himself. The faith is something that is received and nurtured in community with one another. That's why it's so important for us as Catholics to worship together, right? To eat together, to drink together, you know, to to go out together, to exercise together, to be together, to touch one another, to see one another. The reason that we have such a loss of faith in our times is not because of a lack of information. It's a lack of community. That's where we get the experience of that active love and that revelation of God in one another's presence. You know, one thing that I've really come to believe that's true, because I've known so many people who've had all the information of the faith and did not know how to live it and ended their lives despairing of it. You know, St. Thomas, when he experienced Christ, he fell down, he said, my Lord and my God, right? There's a tradition in our Catholic faith that every time the priest lifts up the host and the chalice, everyone, we all look at the host and we say, my Lord and my God. Just as Thomas believed that Jesus Christ was truly present, God right before him. So we believe the same thing every time that host is lifted. Well, St. Mother Teresa, she was one time asked, how do you have such, such love for the poor for so long? You, keep, you just keep giving yourself over and over again. And she said, every single morning, the first thing I do every day is I go kneel before the Blessed Sacrament and I look at Jesus Christ present in the Holy Eucharist for an hour. And that trains me to go into the world and also find Him in the poorest of the poor. That's why our, Jesus did not come just through water water and blood. And if all the information that we have as Catholics isn't leading us into a deeper encounter with the world, especially with the poor, with one another, it will always be insufficient. Thomas began in doubt, but he ended with the greatest act of faith we see in all of Scripture. My Lord and my God. We may not be able to put our hands into the wounds of Christ like him, but if we're willing to put our hands into the wounds of this world, the lives of the people around us, to love it just as it is in all its brokenness, to actively love it, then we too will come to recognize the divine semblance in all things. In time, we, like Thomas, will cry out with him in the presence of divinity in the flesh, even when it comes in the form of broken bread and wine. My Lord and my God.